So what do we do when we stumble? Now, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. And Peter's going to make the brash statement, not me, all these other ones, they're going to stumble, Lord, but not me. And we know that Peter stumbled and he fell. Well, what do we do when we stumble, when we fall, when we fail? And each one of us, folks, does. Let's just, let's just put the rubber right where it meets the road. We are all fallible human beings. Every one of us has had a plop on our face, many plops on our face. So if you would, stand for reading of the Word of God, Matthew 26, 31 through 35. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all of the disciples. This is the word of God. Our Father, again, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that we have the example of Peter to help us to realize we're all fallible. We will all stumble. Help us, Lord, to realize what we are to do when we stumble and move forward. Thank you for this time to study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So please be seated. The theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. The time is Thursday of the last day before Jesus gets crucified. The awful death. He, he celebrates the Lord's Supper with his people. At the Lord's Supper, you wanted to remember several things. The main thing about the Lord's Supper, it is a memorial. His broken body, his shed blood, he was pierced, he was striped, he was bruised, wounded for our iniquities and our transgressions. He took all of our sin upon himself on the cross. We also want to remember that he celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples, with his friends. There was a point where Jesus said, I no longer call you servants but I call you friends, friends. There are very few friends of God mentioned in scripture. Did you know that Moses was a friend of God? He talked face to face with God as God talks with a friend in Exodus 33, 11. Isaiah 48, 8, 41, 8, Abraham was called my friend. God says, Abraham is my friend. I mean, wouldn't that just be touching my friend? Lazarus, our friend Lazarus sleeps in John 15, 15. He says, I no longer call you servants but friends, friends, you are my friends. And then there's this qualifier. What does it take to be a friend of God? What? Oh, yes, you are right on, Chris. That is like a ding, ding. Yes, you, yeah, that's right. Obey his commandments. You are to obey the teachings of Jesus Christ. Obey him. Do what he has to say. So many people are fans of Jesus. Wave at Jesus. Jump up and down for Jesus. I, I, I jumped. That's good. I jumped. <laughs> yeah. I can still move that far off the ground. Yes. Can you touch the rim? Nah. No. 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 But anyway, so many people are, are fans of Jesus, cheer for Jesus, but they're not friends of Jesus because they won't obey Jesus. Fans are usually far off. Are you a friend of God? Are you obeying what Jesus has taught? Or are you just giving lip service that I'm a follower of Messiah? Judas looked like a disciple. Judas smelled like a disciple. 
Judas sounded like he was a disciple of Christ. If all his friends thought he was a disciple, all the disciples thought he was a disciple, but Judas was a traitor, and we know he traded on Jesus, and Jesus at the Last Supper offered him the bread. Judas took it, and do you remember what happened at the moment that he took it? Satan entered into him. Judas refused to be a disciple friend of Jesus. And Satan entered him, and then Jesus summarily dismisses Judas from the group. You can't be here anymore. And into the darkness, Judas went, forever separated from God. Jesus introduces the church to the Lord's table, his broken body and shed blood. And I want to, I just have a couple pictures here. One is of the, the matzah. And again, I want you to realize, whenever we, we take of the Lord's table, when you really are taking matzah, it is pierced, it is striped, and it is bruised. This is a memorial of what Jesus did for us. And then the next slide just shows the whole thing, the cup, his shed blood, his broken body, and what the word of God says. This do in remembrance of me. Never forget what Jesus has done. And also remember, you are the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, you are to watch and be ready for when the bridegroom comes. You've heard the illustration many times. You've heard the teaching. You're to watch and be ready and you are to be faithful to the bridegroom while he's gone. That means you're not in, indulging in any other gods. What does that mean to us today? I'm careful with what I watch. I'm careful with what I listen to. I'm careful what I allow into my heart. Is that going to steal me away from my Lord? Am I going to be unfaithful to him while he's away? No, we are saying I'm going to be faithful to my Lord until he comes for me. The Lord's Supper, folks, is a big thing. It is not just a religious thing that we do just to throw it in to say we did a religious thing. No, no, no. It is a memorial, and it allows us to take a concentrated time to focus with word pictures on exactly what Jesus has done for us. His broken body, his shed blood done for us. Now, this week, we're going to talk about failing. Right after the Lord's Supper, then he talks to Peter about failing. It was very disruptive, very disturbing. When, in, in John, it says, when he, when he mentioned this to the group, that you're all going to betray me, they were all disturbed and all messed up. And that's when Jesus said, John 14, verse 1 through 3, in my father's house to calm them down. There's disruption in the group. There's, there's dismay within the group. There's concern within the group. And Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you guys. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may be. There's a qualifier with may. You know what that is? Believe and receive the gift of salvation. Then you can be with Jesus. You can be with him forever. What do we do when we fail? What do we do when we stumble? What do we do when things happen in our lives that we really wish they wouldn't have happened? The truth is this. We will all stumble. Verse 31, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written. Now notice what he says here. He quotes a psalm, he quotes Zechariah 13, 7. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Who is the I in that? It is God. I will crush my son. It pleased the father to crush his son. Why does it say that in Isaiah 53? Why? Because of us. He did it for us. An amazing love that he has for us. 
It pleased the father to crush his son, to put all the brutality on him that I deserved. That's what happened at the cross. That's an amazing thing. Luke twenty two thirty one adds something interesting to this narrative. And he says this, Satan has asked for you. Now you think he's talking to Peter, but that you is a plural. So it's all the group, all you guys, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail in the test. That your faith would not fail. That word sifting is this. This is what Satan wanted to do to them. And folks, this is what Satan wants to do to you today. Sift, to ground up, pulverized with a grinding stone or steely teeth. Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He'll promise you the world and take everything from you. That's his modus operandi. To cause you to stumble. Now, we're all going to stumble. The word stumble, some of your Bibles will say offended. It's scandalizio is the word. It means to throw someone to, to ruin, to give occasion for ungodly conduct resulting in mischief and ruin. Now, the disciples in their heart of hearts did not think that they would fail Jesus. They thought that in their strength, they're going to be able to stand. Now, how many know this? How many know this? Great intentions or big talk, big talk does not always pan out. There was a movie that John Wayne made. Anybody know John Wayne? Everybody heard of that, this guy? A long time ago, this was a famous actor, okay? Well, he made a movie called Big Jake. And in Big Jake, he says, a big talk does not make a big man. And I said, man, that's a good word, John. That's a good word. That's a good thing to remember. So why do we fail Christ? Why do we stumble? And I think we have to face something, folks. We are simply flesh. We are in a depraved state, not really completely sane until we are in our new glorified state. In the state we're in, folks, right now, there are going to be times of bad thinking, times of insanity, times when we will stumble, times when we will not live out our faith. God knows what we are made of. He knows our nature. Listen to Psalm 103, 13 and 14. It says it perfectly. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Dust. Little flakes of dust. That word pities is the word rakam and it means to, it's a loving word. It means to cherish, to love deeply like a parent does his child. God knows how frail we are. He knows the fragility of humanity. Believe me, he knows what, it's, what we are like in the state that we are in now. Even believers. So we are depraved, but, but I want you to consider this. We are depraved, but we have something the world doesn't have. We have the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to do and not to stumble. We don't have to stumble. We have a power that is at work within us that will allow us to stand through any temptation, anything that comes our way. We must realize that. There's a, there's a verse in Jude 24. Jude verse 24 says this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. That's not the same word. That's apotasia. That means apostasy. That's falling away from the faith. That's the worst stumbling you can ever do. 
Now, he's talking about salvation here. But, it, but to him, God, who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great strength and free from accusation. That's what our God has done for us. Uh, now, think about this. But I still fail. I have the Holy Spirit within me. I still fail. Does everybody agree with that? We, we, still, we still fail. Okay, everybody. Yeah, that's right. We do. We still fail. Why does that happen? Because we're not abiding in Christ. If we abide, we will have success. If we do not abide in Christ, we will not be successful. It's just that simple. The Holy Spirit allowed these disciples to be successful. They all ran at the cross. But folks, something happened at Pentecost. Something powerful happened when the Spirit of God came upon these guys, epi, upon these guys, they were empowered to complete their mission. Jesus, in John chapter 20, breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And he breathed on them the Holy Spirit because Satan wanted to sift them, sift them, grind them up, pulverize them. He breathed on them for salvation, for protection from the evil one because he was going away. So the Spirit of God came on them in that room in John chapter 20. But they didn't have the power then until the Spirit came upon them at Pentecost in Acts 1.8. The Bible tells us that these guys died incredible deaths. They completed their mission. Remember John, uh, John Acts 1.8. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You will do this. How? The Spirit's power will enable them to do it. The Spirit's power. Listen to how they died. Now, you've heard this list before, but I think it's germane to what we're talking about here. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome during Nero's persecution. Andrew was crucified on an X cross, just hung there for days and days and days until he finally passed away. James was beheaded. John, the beloved John, was exiled to Patmos. They tried to boil him in oil and kill him. They couldn't do it. Philip died in Turkey by hanging. Listen to this one. Bartholomew was flayed, skinned with knives. No recanting. Matthew died a martyr's death in Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Thomas was killed with a spear in India. Notice how they went to all the world. Simon the Zealot, it says, he was crucified. All of them accomplished their mission. How did they do it? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't them. It was God at work in them as they yielded themselves to God. Folks, the faith rest life is available to us today. We can live filled with the Spirit. We can dwell in Christ and we can say no to our urges and yes to the Spirit. We can. Now, the problem is, is when we move, now listen to this, the problem is this, when we move from abiding in Christ to what I call flesh foraging, flesh foraging, when we flesh forage, failure, stumbling will happen. Ungodly conduct will happen when we flesh forage. We are all prone to this, folks. We are all prone to flesh foraging. Don't just look at your neighbor and say, oh, you flesh forager. You flesh no, no, we're all in this. We're all in the same club. We're all prone to this. 
Some, we'll all stumble. Some severe, some less severe, some for long time, some for shorter periods of time. But folks, we will all stumble. Romans six twelve through 14 tells us how to be successful. You want to know that, don't you? I think you want to know that. Romans 6, 12 through 14. This is a command. Listen to this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. You have the Spirit of God within you. You are to access that power that is at work within you. You do this through the Spirit's power. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you should obey its lust or its evil desires. And do not present your members, that's parts of your body, your eyes, your hands, your whatever it is, to, to, to evil, to unrighteous sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members, parts of your body, as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. And right then you can just say, yes, 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 Lord. Thank you, Lord. They do not have to have dominion over us. We can live out this life successful. Perfect? No. But more successful as we grow. We can do that. Don't ever think you can't. Under the stress of the cross, folks, the threat of death, these disciples all ran for their lives. And Zechariah 13, 7, hundreds of years before prophesied, I will strike the shepherd. I will strike the shepherd and the flock will be scattered. And lo and behold, next week or week after that, in Matthew 26, 56, it says, Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Just like it was prophesied. You can't make this stuff up. Now, the shepherd was taken away. Now, remember, the sheep without a shepherd, they're wandering. They're nervous. They're scared. That's why he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit within you so that you're not fearful. See, if you're, if you're fearful, you're actually acting in sin. We are not to be fearful. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. He has not given us the spirit of fear. Do not walk in worry. Do not walk in fear. Do not walk in anxiety. The shepherd was taken from them. Everything seemed lost. Everything seemed lost. And then in verse 32, Jesus tells them, it will look bleak, but I will rise again. It's going to look like a major defeat, but I will rise again. Verse 32, but after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. He makes a statement, a fete complete. This is fact. This will happen. I am going to die. I'm going to be buried and I will rise from the dead. And you're going to meet me in Galilee. By the way, 500 also met him in Galilee. We see in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. It was bleak. It was overcoming. It was undeniably terrible, the cross. It was awful. At the cross, what happened at the cross? What was actually accomplished at the cross where there was no hope? Jesus, naked, beaten, brutalized, no longer. Remember, it says in Isaiah 52, his visage, his appearance no longer looked human. He was beaten like no other. He no longer looked like a human being. At the cross, Jesus paid our sin debt, sacrificed his life for my life. What a deal. What an act of love. What an amazing, loving God. You talk about agape love. That's the epitome of agape. Jesus was an acceptable sacrifice. Now listen to this, pacifying the wrath of God. 
That's important. Most people don't have any, uh, any, any conscience or any awareness of the, of the wrath of God. But all humanity is under the wrath of God until they are extracted from the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light. All will experience the wrath of God unless they're covered by the blood. Remember at the Passover, the destroying angel will kill anybody if that lentil and doorpost did not have the blood. Well, if you don't have the blood applied to your life, the blood of salvation, you will be destroyed. The wrath of God will be poured out on you. That is an important thing to remember. Jesus came to save us from that. He died for us so we didn't have to experience that. There's a, there's a word, it's called propitiation. It's going to come on the screen. It's a big word. Most of you won't remember it, but it's important that you remember two things about it. Okay? And I'll tell you those two things. The word propitiation carries the basic idea of appeasement or satisfaction specifically towards God. Propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of God, number one, and then being reconciled to him. Reconciliation, cataloso is the word. It means to bring two warring parties back together. Two parties that were separated by sin, humanity, back into relationship. That's what Jesus did for us. His sacrifice assuaged or pacified the wrath of God and then brought us into right relationship with him. That is an important concept. And also at the cross, Jesus assured Satan's defeat. Now, folks, if we were a charismatic church right now, we'd be going, yeah! Well, let me just hear it. Yeah! Okay, good, that's right. Christ the victor over sin and death. Colossians 2.15 says this, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them. That public spectacle is like when Rome would marches prisoners through the city, and all the people would just throw things at him and gas at them. Public spectacle was made of the demonic realm at the cross. At the cross. But what about the resurrection? What about the resurrection? Something a little different. It tells us that Jesus' sacrifice was complete and sufficient for our salvation, pleasing the Father. You know what that means? When Jesus' sixth cry from the cross, which you've heard recently, what was it? Tetelestai. It is finished. Paid in full. Boom. The redemptive price was paid in full. Nothing else had to be done. Jesus paid it all on the cross. Jesus lives, we will live. The resurrection tells us that death was destroyed for the believer. Now, John 11, 25 and 26 is one of the I am statements. One of the seven I am statements. And, it's, and it says, I am the eagle, am I? Jesus is saying, I am God. That is what he's saying. And at this one, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever... Whoever, every and all, pass, every and all who believes in me will never die. You know what death is? Separation. Separation. For those who do not know Jesus Christ, they're separated from God forever. In what is called hell, traditionally, ultimately it's the lake of fire. That's the final abode of the lost. But for we who know him are never separated for a moment. Not a millisecond. We are absent from the body, present with the Lord. What an amazing promise. I'm telling you, something's going to happen here soon. In one sixth billionth of a second, in a twinkling of an eye, boom, we're going to be gone, folks. It's going to be that fast, that fast, present with the Lord. No believer ever dies. And then Jesus tells them something interesting. I'll meet up with you guys in Galilee. 
Heads up, guys. The disciples will abandon Jesus, but Jesus will not abandon his disciples. Aren't you glad? There's hope for failures, folks. There's hope for stumblers. There's hope for us who have failed. He won't abandon us. Listen to this. This isn't in your notes, so just hear this. Jesus always waits to meet up with you. If you confess and you repent of your sins and you decide you're going to turn from whatever you've done, Jesus will meet up with you. He will. Turn to him. It doesn't matter how embarrassing, how defeating, how pitifully we've acted, Jesus will always wait for you to take you back if you repent. He'll take you back. No incrimination. No I told you so. No scolding. He will always, his arms are, boom, always wide open, just ready to go, bam, give you a great big bear hug. Say, welcome, welcome. Arms wide open. Folks, we call this grace. The grace of God that just just blows our minds. Then the disciples decide that they're going to tell Jesus what they're going to do. The big talk before a big fall. Verse 33 through 35. Peter answered and said to him, even if, all of, even if all are made, all you other disciples, you underlings. Peter thinks he's something, doesn't he? Peter thinks he's something. All you other, even if, they all, even if all of them stumble, are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus says to him, calm down, Peter. Assuredly, Peter, I say to you. Now, Peter should have gotten the, gotten the message at this point. Assuredly, I say to you, this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. If Jesus is looking at you right between the peepers and says, assuredly, I say to you, this is going to happen. Not Peter. Peter hasn't gotten the message yet. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And then the other disciples go, yeah, me too. Me too. We, we, we're going to jump in on this one too. Yeah, they'll all jump in. Peter, the quick, the, the quick to answer. Peter, the type A++++. Peter, the one that jumps out of the boat and walks on water and then has the panic attack and starts to sink. Peter, the one that's always first to speak. Even if all are made to stumble, I won't. Not me, not me, Lord. Listen to this. No one made Peter stumble. But think about this. The right stressor at the wrong time and anyone can take a stumble. Anyone can take a header. And he took one. Anyone can act out of character contrary to who they really are. Peter has to deal with something, folks. He's still full of Peter pride. Peter pride. It's all about his strength and his fortitude. Whenever you think it's about you, just, just let this resonate. Wrong. Wrong. Wrong focus. It is not about you. It is not about you. In Matthew 26, 41, which we'll get into next week in Gethsemane, Jesus says to his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? Will you just wait here and pray with me? My heart is broken. I'm going to die here in a few hours. Please pray with me. And they, of course, fall asleep while Jesus is is lamenting. If there's any other way, Father, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but your will. And he goes back to them three times. And he goes back and he finds them sleeping. Then he makes this statement of truth. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that the truth for all of us? Peter argues with omniscience. You know what that word is? All-knowing. 
Now, we know that in the kenosis, Jesus set aside his divine attributes. They didn't just go away, just willfully set them aside for a time while he was here. But his omniscience just kind of ekes through, ekes through. Jesus, folks, is all-knowing God, and Peter is not, and folks, neither are we. Peter arrogance, hubris was pouring out of him. Even if they do it, I won't. Peter pride infected the group. Peter's not going to steal this one. They're all going to jump in and say, me too, Jesus, me too. I'm going to, I'm going to do good. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, pride, pride, hubris, arrogance goes before destruction and a haughty, elevated spirit before a fall. This is the word of God. This is a warning from God. In closing, what do we do when we stumble? Exactly what do we do when we stumble? Since we are all flesh and blood, we are all prone to wander, prone to sin, and prone to stumble. To be thrown out, to be thrown to ruin, to engage in mischief and ruin. We're all faced with multiple, multiple opportunities to stumble. But we don't have to stumble. Remember, you have been born again of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has indwelled you. You have been given life and you have the power of the Spirit to say no. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit and you can make a faith choice instead of a flesh choice. Let me say that again. You can make a faith choice instead of a flesh choice. The world does not have this power, but you do because the Spirit resides in you. We do not have to be controlled by our urges. You ever hear this? Well, I just had this urge, and I just couldn't control myself. Well, if you're a Christian, baloney. You've given yourself over to something you shouldn't give yourself over to. There can be a lot of urges, believe me, that are very tense, very difficult to deal with, that you have to dwell in Christ to overcome. But you can overcome them. Don't be controlled by your urges, our emotions. We can be spirit-controlled. Romans 8.13 Talks, talks about putting to death the deeds of the flesh. You do not mess with the flesh, okay? The flesh wants to control you. The flesh wants to take you by the nose and actually takes you by, puts a ring through your nose and just pulls you around like the Assyrians did. Remember they took you into captivity? They put a rim th ring through their nose and buddy, they pulled on that and you went right where they told you to go. That's what the flesh does. Wants to lead you around by the nose, we don't want to follow our flesh. Romans 8.13 says this, For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh or the body, you will live. Now, when you became a Christian, you became a new person in Christ. Okay? Your old man died symbolically with Jesus. But your flesh, your depraved fallen nature is still alive and well leading you and pulling you always. It doesn't give up. Because you became a Christian, it's not a one and done. That's the end of my flesh. Oh, no. The flesh is a moment by moment, literally moment by moment decision that you have to make. Am I going to walk the way God wants me to walk? Am I going to walk according to this thing that keeps pulling at me? What am I going to do? The flesh has to be put to death moment by moment. Neil Anderson, in his book, Bondage Breaker, talks about temptation. He says, every temptation we grow through is an invitation to act independent of God. Now, look, when we act independent of God, 
we are saying, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Invictus, the human, the man is all powerful. Baloney. I'm not the master of anything. God is the master, not me. There's a critical moment, a time when a person decides which way they will go. Now, you know this. You know this. There's a crossroad. There's a time that you're going to decide. Chuck Missler, in his book, Kingdom, Power, and Glory, has a couple slides here. Now, this person has the light of God. He's born again. But notice he's double-minded, torn between the world and God. The most miserable place you can be is a double-minded Christian. I know that I'm in Christ, but I'm just not living it out, and I'm miserable. I'm miserable. It's just not working out. You have a new spirit. You have a new heart. You have a new willpower, which can affect your soul and body. But at the time of temptation, that's this line here, you make an emotional choice instead of a faith choice. You follow your desires. The power of sin overwhelms you, and you walk after the flesh and folks, it ends up being a mess. James has something to say about this. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8 says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, Sophia, the ability to act in the way that God would want you to act, Sophia, wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You want wisdom? Ask God, walk in his ways, and you'll get it. You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. The double-minded man, up, down, all over the place, in, out, up, you know, it's unstable. Blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, I want to contrast that with a person that is walking in the spirit. That's the next one. Same slide, same temple. This is a picture of the temple, uh, temple, your temple, God that lives in you, the Spirit of God. Same temple, same new spirit, new heart, willpower, soul, affects the body. But now at the time of testing, you've made a choice. I'm going to make a faith choice. I'm not going down that road. Uh-uh, not me. I've too many hurts down this road. Now, look at When you make a flesh choice, one hundred percent of the time it will hurt you maybe not at that moment when you're not caught but be sure your sin will find you out it will affect you so you must know that so this is a faith choice you do god's will by god's power it's not us it's him walking after the spirit i'm single-minded fully devoted to christ filled with the spirit walking in the spirit I am dwelling in Christ, menowing, make my home in Christ. That's the difference between success and failure. Most of Christendom lives right here. Now, I don't know how many years you lived here. This is where I lived for a whole bunch of years. Why isn't this whole Christian thing working out so good? It just doesn't seem to be working out. And I'm torn between two lovers, you know, torn between the world and my flesh and torn between God. No, no. I want you to think about something. You've seen this picture several different times in different ways. But this next one coming up here talks about we're born into this world. And we're born into this world dead in our trespasses and sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Every human is born dead in their sins. And to the point where you're justified, you believe that Jesus is your Savior. At some point, you process the information and you said, yes, 
Yes, the Spirit of God opened your eyes and you came into the family of God and you were justified, declared righteous in the sight of God. And then from then on, you're in this process of sanctification, being conformed to the likeness of Christ, growing right here. If you live here, now you could be a Christian and live here five years, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years. This is the newborn baby. A newborn baby is double-minded, unstable in all things. But as you progress in sanctification, you start to become single-minded. Now, we won't be perfect. Now, you will have falls here. It's not going to be perfect here. You won't be perfect in the state, the state of glorification. That's the state of perfection. No longer temptable. Folks, that's heaven in our new body, in our new brain. Now, when you get older, that, that new brain thing seems like a big deal. Okay, when you're younger, you got the sharp brain, man, you can just, you know, when you get older, that's a huge item. So what do we do when we stumble? That's the question you want to know. What do we do when we stumble? We all do it. Number one thing to do is own it. What does that mean? Admit it. Don't make any excuses. So many people say, I've made this decision and, and I'm owning my decision, but... They throw a big capital. I wanted to put a big butt up there. But, but this. When you add but to your confession, to your repentance, it's an indication that you are not getting it. We must, we need, you'll have more opportunities to learn. More opportunities to learn. Number two, confess it. First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, that means agree with God that it was a sin. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from a little unrighteousness. Thank you. I didn't know you. I just want to make sure you're listening, Dave. Yeah? All unrighteousness. And then number three. Look, once you realize that you've done something wrong, and folks, I know these feelings. I've tried the butts. I've lived in butt land. So have you. We all have. We all have. That is not a place where you want to live. You want to live in own it land. I did this, and real repentance involves contrition. What did David do when he repented? When Nathan confronted him, he he confessed his sin. He goes, oh, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. He had Uriah murdered. He, he, He manipulated Bathsheba. He did all things that conspire. But he realizes sin. He goes, Lord, I'm sorry. Then you know there's repentance. Then you know there's, there's confession. But David says, oh, but, but if Bathsheba wasn't up there naked, then I wouldn't have done this. It's her fault. No, it, no, no buts, no buts. Number three, don't wallow in your error. Don't wallow in it, in your despair. Don't allow Satan to make you wallow in guilt and defeat. Satan wants you defeated He wants you off to the side and he wants you to live forever with guilt. Forever with guilt. Don't do that. Don't go there. And number four, and I think this is probably the most difficult of all, forgive yourself. This is important and most difficult. Guilt land is awful land. Allow God to take your guilt. God has forgiven you. He he has taken your sin and taken as far as the east is from the west. Though our sins be as scarlet, they are as white as snow. They're not brought up to God anymore. He is done with it. He's done with it. I love that. And allow God to restore what the locusts have eaten away. 
the destructive part of your life that have been the consequences of your action. Allow God to restore, as it says in Joel, what the locusts have eaten away. Forgive yourself. And then finally, some people and all of us have experienced this. We've had something that someone's done to us. Something's done, someone's done to us. So be quick to forgive others. Don't live in payback land. Anger and resentment are joy and peace stealers. Bitterness is something that happens to the person that doesn't forgive. One person said this, Bitterness in an unforgiving spirit is like taking poison and expecting someone else will die from the effect. I take the poison, I bitter, and I'm expecting to have the consequences on somebody else. It doesn't work that way. You must forgive in order to be forgiven, to be free, to not have that sense of where's God. There was a man I mentioned. He was a lieutenant in the Marines. His name is Cleve McCleary. And he was in Vietnam in 1968 during Tet. And he was in a bad situation. And he got blown up. He lost his eye. Lost his hand. He lost many things in his body. And he was asked, how can you go forward? And Cleve was a Christian. And he struggled. He struggled until he realized that God wants him to move forward. And he coined the, the, the acronym FIDO. Forget it and drive on. F-I-D-O. Forget it and drive on. Keep moving forward. Let me suggest to you, when crud happens in your life, and you know it will, and it has. It has. Everybody here has had it. When we struggle and go into stinking thinking guilt mode, we must FIDO. Forget it and move on. We want to learn from the past. Learn from our stumbles and our failures, our mistakes. But we will refuse to live in our past. I will not live in my past failures. I am different. I've been changed. I've been forgiven. You are not identified by who you were or what you did, but who you are now in Christ. That's important. Genuine repentance. Who I am in Christ. No looking back, folks. No looking back. Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14 says this. This first part isn't on your notes, but it's part of it. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, we press on towards the goal to win the prize, which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. We press on. We're not looking back. I'm not in the rearview mirror saying, oh, this is my life and it's destroying me. I'm moving forward. I've been forgiven. I'm a different person. I'm moving on. Moving on. So many people never get out of high school. They've had a bully in high school. They've had a bad experience in high school. And they relive it over and over and over. They never get out of high school. Some people never get out of jail. The jail of disappointment, the jail of a bad relationship, the jail of some awful thing that has happened to you, and you ruminate at it over and over in your mind. Never get over it. Some people never move on from a painful event, and they just are stuck in remorse, in grief. Folks, life is full of painful events, some caused by us. We're, we're on both sides of this, folks. We've caused some of this. And some of it's been caused by others. 
in the past. We are to move on, to be healthy, to have joy and peace in this world. You must move forward. Move forward. We are not defined by our past, but how we respond to our past. Mistakes will be made. We know that. Know that. By God's strength, move on. C.S. Lewis says this in the screw tape letters, talking about Satan's strategy. He gets Christians to become preoccupied with their failures. From then on, the battle is won. God is gracious. He will forgive. People are not as gracious. People hold grudges. People will say, I forgive you, and then keep bringing it up, bringing it up. Folks, that's not forgiveness. That's a lie. You've lied. If you say, I forgive you, it's off grounds. You can't go back there. You've forgiven before God, that's done. He forgives and he forgets. People harbor, slow to forgive. The moment a person owns, confesses, repents without a but, God forgives without conditions, without scolding, without demeaning. He just forgives. What did he say to the woman caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. That's what he said. He didn't condemn her like all those other people that wanted her stoned. What do we do when we stumble? We run to our Father and He will forgive. Own it. Confess it. Don't wallow in it. And by all means, forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. This will result in a spiritually healthy, joyful, fulfilled you. Look at we have one life. This is it. You get one shot at this. Are you going to go through it all bitter, all angry, all feeling nasty for all of your life? Or are you going to move on from the past and refuse to let that thing, whatever it was, control your life? You're a child of a God. You're a child of a king. You have value, meaning, and purpose. Let that thing go and move on. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this time that you've allowed us to study your word. Thank you, Lord, that this is something that hits each one of us. It hits me really hard. I know there's times when I have failed. I have brought about my own purposeful, pitiful things. And there's other times when there's been somebody's perpetrated it on me. And both these things, Lord, I have to deal with. And both these things, I put it on you. And both these things, I want to move on. I do not want to be stuck. Lord, I want to live with joy and peace. And I want to have the fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things come when we put these other things away and abide in Christ, and then the fruit starts to be developed in our lives. Thank you for this time to study the infallible, inerrant word of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen.